if you look at what the Abrahamic believers, well, believe, they have a prophet or a messiah, sometimes more than a prophet, a book, the word of God, rules, traditions related to the belief system. Over time, the religion evolves and mutates while pretending to stick by the original rules of the book itself. Communism has a prophet, a book, rules, traditions. Like religions, it has fundamentalist followers, and like religion, the vast majority of its followers pick and choose what to and what not to follow. It, too, adapts to changing times, and like religion, most of its followers are communists in name only. If communism is a religion, then it is one of the more recent ones, and by and far it is the most successful religion ever. Its ideas, like no other, have shaped the lives of just about everyone. Socialist ideas and ideologies are all over the place. The US, India, China, the EU, where is it not? Incredibly, you can separate church and state. With communism, you incorporate church and state. Communism supersedes traditional God worship because it doesn't have a God to worship. Communism is something that could only have been developed in Europe. It needed three things. One, urban factories. Two, colonial exploitation. And three, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, as in Christianity. The potent combination of these three offerings were the right pickings for the evolution of communist thought. Anything was possible after the French Revolution, so that anything was to be a philosophy that would change human behavior and attitudes forever. It's no small joke that the biggest religion in the world doesn't have a God. It has a manifesto, one step up from a Torah, a Bible, or a Quran. Those factories in cities like Manchester and Birmingham resulted in erstwhile country bumpkin peasants to suffer together in extremely squalid conditions. No protection in factories and no benefits to work. You just worked to survive. The exploitation in these colonies was bad, but the pain of the workers was also pretty bad. Urbanization, by the way, also brought with it proximity, meaning lots of humans together. And once you do that, they talk, gossip, and they get together. And I'm not discounting traditional religion. I think religion played a major role. Without the Protestant ideas, without the French Revolution, without the Enlightenment, without colonial and industrial expansion, science, none of this would have worked. But the underlying ideology was and is always Christianity, specifically Protestant Christianity. There was no way communism would have been born in India, China, Russia, or Iran. Not a chance. The lovely mix of all this stuff and of all this information, the growth of science, etc., 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 these drivers was the cauldron that was needed to cook up the communist manifesto. Communism didn't just occur. It didn't just happen one day. These events resulted in the moment where a clever philosopher or prophet 
was able to decode what was actually just happening in society and then was able to codify it. Just like Adam Smith decoded and codified in his book, his ideas on capitalism or close enough to it, so did our own Karl Marx on communism. How else can I explain this? Maybe like this. Did Isaac Newton discover gravity? Or did Columbus discover the Americas? Well, no. Gravity and the Americas were always there. These guys decoded and recoded information for another audience. So did Karl Marx. So who was this prophet, Karl Marx, and who was Frederick Engels? Karl Marx was born on the 5th of May, 1818. He died on the 14th of March, 1883. He was German, a philosopher, a political economist, a historian, sociologist, a political theorist, and a journalist. His best-known titles are the 1848 work called The Communist Manifesto and the four-volume Das Kapital, released 1867 and between 1867 and 1883. Frederick Engels was born on the 28th of November, 1820, and died on the 5th of August, 1895. He was a German, also a philosopher. Again, he was a critic of the political economy at the time, a historian, a political theorist, and a revolutionary. Oddly, he was also a businessman, a journalist, and a political activist whose father was an owner of large textile factories in Salford, which is in Lancashire in England. Engels, for his part, in 1845, published The Condition of the Working Class in England, a pamphlet based on personal observations and research in English cities. In 1848, Engels co-authored the Communist Manifesto with Marx, and also authored and co-authored primarily with Marx many other works. Later, Engels supported Marx financially, allowing him to do research and write Das Kapital. After Marx's death, Engels edited the second and third volumes of Das Kapital. Additionally, Engels organized Marx's notes on the theories of surplus value, which were later published as the fourth volume of Das Kapital in 1884. I want to spend a bit of time looking at the Communist Manifesto that was published by Karl and Frederick in 1848. And by the way, 1848 was an extremely significant year for revolutions in Europe. But the Communist Manifesto was not directly influenced by those revolutions, though it was written during the events that led to the 1848 revolutions. So, okay, the Communist Manifesto. So the Communist Manifesto summarizes... Marx and Engels' theory concerning the nature of society and politics, namely that in their own words, the history of all hierotope existing society is the history of class struggles. It also briefly features their ideas for how the capitalist society of the time would eventually be replaced by socialism. Most importantly, like all good evangelizing religions, in the last paragraph of the manifesto, the author's called for a forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions, which served as a call for communist revolutions around the world. Now call it a conversion of sorts from the old to the new. Maybe even European atheism, by the way, is riddled with evangelizing zeal, i.e., no, there is no God, and there is no God, and believe that there is no God, blah, 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 blah. 
this is part of that theory. Now, I'm not going to read the Communist Manifesto to you here, but explain the main tenets of the manifesto. But first, before I do that, what is communism? Well, it's simple. Communism comes from the Latin commune. Communist thought has been traced back to the works of the 16th century English writer Thomas More. In his 1516 treatise titled Utopia, More portrayed a society based on common ownership of property, whose rulers administered it through the application of reason and virtue. Interestingly, one of the first uses of the word in its modern sense is in a letter sent by French writer Victor de Huppet to the French novelist Restif de la Benoît, and I've butchered those names, so apologies. That happened in 1785, in which Huppet describes himself as an amateur communist, a communist author. In 1793, Restif first used communism to describe a social order based on egalitarianism and the common ownership of property. He would go on to use the term frequently in his writing and was the first to describe communism as a form of government. John Balby is credited with the first use of communism in English around the year 1840. Communism is essentially a philosophy, a philosophical, social, political, and economic religion, and thus a movement whose goal is the establishment of a communist society, namely a socio-economic order based on the idea of common ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange. And it allocates products to everyone in a society. And I want to repeat because this is really, really important. It is the idea of common ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange. Now it, like previous religions, can involve the absence of social classes, money, and the state. Communism, not to be confused with socialism, is mainly a specific yet distinct form of socialism. In case you wanted to know, socialism is a left-wing ideology rather than a religion. No prophet, no book, not Abrahamic enough for me. Socialism is like communism, but not the same. Socialism is an economic philosophy, a movement consisting of a range of economic systems characterized by the dominance of social ownership of the means of production within the economy and worker participation in the management of productive enterprises, as opposed to private ownership. As a term, it describes the economic, political, and social theories and movements associated with the implementation of such systems. Social ownership can be public, collective, or cooperative. Now back to the communist faith, because it is different. Communism includes a bunch of schools of thought, which broadly includes Marxism, Leninism, and libertarian communism, as well as political ideologies grouped around all of those. Since I reckon communism is a religion, these things like Marxism and Leninism are just sects of that religion. Anyway, all of these different religious sects share the vision that the current order of society stems from capitalism. Now, that economic system and mode of production, namely that in this system there are two social classes, the relationship between these two classes 
is ultimately exploitative and that this situation can only be resolved through social revolution. The two classes are the proletariat, i.e. the working class, who make up the majority of the population within a society and must work in order to survive, and the bourgeoisie, i.e. the capitalist class. So proletariat and bourgeoisie. Now the bourgeoisie are a small minority who derives profit from employing the working class through private ownership of the means of production. According to this analysis, revolution would put the working class in power and in turn establish common ownership of property, which is the primary element in the transformation of society through to a communist mode of production. In different parts of the world, the term communism and communist have varying human assumptions. In Eastern Europe and parts of the former USSR, communism has extremely negative connotations. There are communist apostates, meaning there are people who've left communism and Eastern Europe is full of those people. They used to be believers and now they do other things like they screw their poor in other ways. So communism is a form of faith. They have reconverted to Christianity, the belief without whom there would never likely have been a communist belief system in the first instance. In China, it's communism with Chinese characteristics. It's more authoritarian capitalist than anything else. They're communists, in my opinion, pretty much in name only. Now you can look at the leftist leaders in places like Cuba, Venezuela, or North Korea and think they are maybe communist. Again, they are their own brand of a system that may or may not be communist. They simply have a tad more communism than, say, in India or in Germany or, God forbid, even a USA. You see, even the USA, with all the capitalism, it's just two important sandwiches short of a full communist picnic. Did they, the government, not shut down during COVID? Yes. Did they, the government, not pump money into the economy and buy assets, aka nationalizing, in the 2008 recession? Yes. And even in 2020? Yes. Is the US government uncontrollably large? Yes. Is it a militarized police force? Yes. Does the government subsidize farmers? Yes. Is schooling free? Yes. Etc., etc., etc. My point is that communism is such a successful religion that it enters into every nook and cranny of every country. A capitalist American is like an atheist Jew, culturally Jewish, but thinks like they are unbelievers. Judaism doesn't care because the culture is ultimately Jewish. The capitalist American is happily anti-communist, swimming in a communist culture. Human society can only survive in a commune. Freedom is in our minds. Communism takes that mindset to a crazy, mind-bending extreme. It requires violent overthrow and forced commune. But what if you can slip communism and slip it in without revolution and without government pressure? Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is modern society. And why, you may ask? 
Because human society needs a commune, a society. We need healthcare, laws, and social structure. What do or should you do at a red traffic light? Stop, ideally, yes. Why? Because the community expects you to. Because the government says so. Because otherwise someone will dob you into the police and you will be punished by the government. That's communism. It may also be safe and common sense, but it is also a conditioning of your brain. Laws are designed to control us. Laws, so-called, are designed to protect us. Now, these things came about only after communism and socialism went mainstream through the back door in some countries and through the front door in other countries. Humans, I think, need these social structures to survive. Just like capitalism or trade is a natural human condition, so is communism. But like everything else in human nature, you can twist and likely take it to any extreme you want. Just like the Quran was a product of its day and time, just like the Bible or Bibles were and are products of their time, so was the Communist Manifesto. It was a snapshot, a revolutionary one, of its day and time. Unlike the traditional beliefs of religion, this one, communism, in some form has entered all of human society. Just like authoritarian communists need to trade and be capitalist because it's out of human nature, democratic capitalists need communism in some form because it too is in our human nature. Of course, those are not the only two systems, but hopefully you get my point. In short, communism is the most successful Western ideological export in history. Remember, for those of you thinking Christianity, Christianity is an Eastern belief system, not Western. So what's in the Communist Manifesto itself? Well, the Communist Manifesto is divided into a preamble and four sections. The last of these is a short conclusion. The introduction begins, a spectre is haunting Europe, the spectre of communism. All the powers of old Europe have entered into a holy alliance to exercise this spectre, pointing out that parties everywhere, including those in government and those in the opposition, have flung the branding reproach of communism at each other. The authors infer from this that the powers that be acknowledge communism to be a power in itself. The introduction asks communists to openly publish their views and aims to meet this nursery tale of the specter of communism with a manifesto of the party itself. The first section of the manifesto, bourgeoisie and proletarians, supposes that the materialist conception of history, that the history of all hybrid of existing society, is the history of purely class struggle. Now remember, where did Marx and Engels live? That was in the UK, even though they are Germans or were Germans. They lived in the UK. The UK in the early 1800s, or certainly in the 1840s, was indeed an exploitative society. And why, you may ask, was it an exploited society? Well, the Industrial Revolution should tell you all you need to know. People working in diabolical conditions. So you had the exploiter and you had 
the exploited. In other words, if Karl Marx was writing something, something like this in, say, September 2022, and in the world of social media and the internet, the chances of him coming up with the Communist Manifesto in the way he did it would probably be low. So it was a product of its time and of its circumstance. In capitalism, the industrial working class or proletariat, I love that word, by the way, proletariat, engage in class struggle against the owners of the means of production. That's the bourgeoisie, which is also a great word. Now, as before, this struggle will end in a revolution that resurrects society or the common ruin of the classes. The bourgeoisie, through the consenting revolution of production and uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, will have emerged as the supreme class in society, displacing all the old powers of feudalism, aka feudalism, then bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie constantly exploits the proletariat for its labor power, creating profit for themselves and the accumulation of capital. However, in doing so, the bourgeoisie serves as its own gravedigger. The proletariat inevitably will become conscious of their own potential and rise to power through revolution, overthrowing the bourgeoisie. Now remember how I said earlier that the working conditions in the factories were squalid? They were horrible. Proletarians and communists. The second section starts by stating that the relationship of conscious communists to the rest of the working class. The Communists' Party will not oppose other working class parties, but unlike them, it will express the general will and defend the common interests of the world's proletariat as a whole, independent of any nationality. This section, the second section we're still on, goes on to defend communism from a variety of objections, including claims that it advocates something like communal prostitution, or it disincentivizes people from actually working. That, by the way, is an accusation leveled at the communists even today. This section ends by outlining a set of short-term demands, among them a progressive income tax, abolition of inheritances and private property, abolition of child labor, free public education, nationalization of the means of transportation and communication, centralization of credit via a national bank, expansion of publicly owned land, etc., 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 etc. The implementation of all this would ultimately result in the precursor to a stateless and classless society. You'll probably note that even in the most capitalist of societies, you have stuff like a progressive income tax, abolished child labor, free public education, etc., etc. Moving on to the third section, socialist and communist legislature. Now this distinguishes communism from other socialist doctrines during the rounds at the time, these being broadly categorized as stuff like reactionary socialism, conservatives or bourgeoisie socialists, and critical utopian socialists. And then, of course, there was communists. While the degree of reproachment between all of these rival perspectives varies, all are ultimately dismissed dismissed for advocating reformism 
in failing to recognize the preeminent revolutionary role of the most important thing in the world ever, and that being the working class peoples of the world. Position of the communists in retaliation to the various opposition parties. And that's the concluding section of the manifesto, i.e. position of the communists in relation to the various opposition parties. Now, this briefly discusses the communist position on struggles in specific countries in the mid-19th century, such as France, Switzerland, Poland, and Germany. And this last being on the eve of a bourgeoisie revolution, predicting that a world revolution will soon follow. And it ends by declaring an alliance with the democratic socialists, boldly supporting other communist revolutions and calling for united international proletarian action, i.e. working men of all countries unite. As I said, these guys were a product of their time. Revolution in Europe was as common as sand in a desert. Working conditions were horrid and people were exploited left, right and centre, not just by the landed gentry, but by new money as well, the new businessmen. This very Western religion, aka communism, religion, yes, soon found its way into countries it was not supposed to go to. There was a process to revolution. We had to get to the industrial capitalist stage first, not the peasant feudalist stage. Intriguingly, the two big revolutions that occurred in the 1900s were actually in the two biggest landmass countries with huge populations, that being Russian Empire and China. They, interestingly, industrialized after their revolutions for the most part. Anyhow, China in 2022 is anything but communist. In the USSR, Stalin, who was a commie, but he was a commie just for laughs, was mostly a dictator and a bad one. After the Stalin period, the USSR was not really communist. Even when it fell in 1991, it fell due to bad governance. There are others, like I said before, there were overtly leftist governments in Latin America, Southeast Asia, North Korea, India, much of Africa and the Arab world. Why, you may ask? Because leftism and communism was the way out of colonialism in the 1900s. And the way forward to develop your society in that time, after you gained your freedom, was actually through this method. Now, even though the officially capitalist Western countries were fighting these so-called nasty communists, they themselves were running communistic ideas inside their realms. The government in the UK under Prime Minister Clement Attlee in the later 1940s and early 1950s was doing just this. Franklin Roosevelt's government in the US was doing just this. Pretty much most of Europe after World War II was doing just this. All these crazy capitalists were running neo-communist governments. Now, a number of you will disagree with me on these theories that communism is the most successful religion ever and that it is in everything, everything in every society. It's okay, please disagree with me. But remember to not mix up things like dictatorship and authoritarianism with the theology. Yes, theology, not ideology. 
of communism. Just like a Christian or a Muslim happily goes and does yoga and then meditates and chants Om, so does a hard-nosed capitalist send their kids to free schools rather than down in squalid factory conditions. And just like a Christian or Muslim happily does yoga and meditation and chants Om, so does a hard-nosed communist send their kids to work in institutions that get them the best benefits, the most money, and the best opportunities. And that is it for this episode. Thank you for your time. All the best. Catch you all soon. Cheerio. Thank you.